Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 115. Hello, my beautiful friends. And if you're near here, welcome. I'm Avanti and this is the Healing Catalyst Podcast. I'm so happy that you're here with me. So today is part two of a two-part episode about the key wellness trends for 2024. If you haven't already heard part one, make sure that you go back and listen. That episode is linked for you in the show notes. This week, I'm joined once again by Faye McRae, Vice President and Head of Content at Well and Good, to discuss four of the eight wellness trends for the upcoming year. In our conversation, we explore the new technology that will help you optimize your sauna sweat sessions and why strength training your skin barrier is the key to skin health. We also talk about postpartum care and why supporting mothers in the fourth trimester is crucial for the health of not just the newborn, but also for the health of the mother. And make sure you listen until the end of the episode when Faye and I get into a lively discussion about the last trend of smart home products that can monitor everything from anxiety and stress to menstrual flow. Yep, you heard me right. Smart tampons are being tested and are set to hit the market soon. This one honestly had me asking a lot of ethical and privacy questions. As I mentioned last week in part one of this two-part episode, this is the third year that I've been contacted by Well and Good to discuss their annual wellness trends report. And I absolutely love diving into what their team is reporting and tracking and then sharing it with all of you. I'm so excited to share part two of my conversation with Faye McRae about the key wellness trends for 2024. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Healing Catalyst podcast. I'm so excited to be back with you again with my guest, Faye McRae from Well and Good. And we are doing part two of a two-part series talking about the Well and Good 2024 trends in health and wellness. And if you haven't already listened, make sure you listen to part one, which was released last week. But we are going to keep going through some more of the trends. These are super interesting. Faye, thanks so much for joining me again. I appreciate your time in this busy time of the year. Oh, absolutely. Wonderful. So let's jump right in. So the next trend that we're going to talk about, the headline is the red hot sauna industry is boiling over with new ways to optimize your sweat session. So tell me about this trend. Yeah. So as we know, saunas aren't new, right? Um, but in 2024, what we see, we'll see is a lot of tech innovations that increase the potential of the benefits that we can reap from these sweat sessions, right? So thermotherapy is getting smarter. There's whole new ways to maximize our sweat, better and faster results. And we know a lot of this is rooted in a lot of ancient modalities, like, you know, not just what saunas as we know them in gyms or, you know, in spas, but saunas have existed 
things rooted in Turkish history, Russian history, Native American sweat lodges. I mean, it's pretty amazing how how far back the use of this sort of mode of, of wellness goes. But the next wave of saunas is going to see a layer of additional features. So some of them are red light therapy, um, which uses a shorter wavelength than infrared, and it reduces inflammation, which is helpful in skin treatments. We also see electromagnetic field therapy. So a lot of real, really fantastic innovations in this space that are increasing the benefits, uh, but through new modalities. Yeah. And so, so much there to talk about. So Ayurveda has been doing sweating, Svedna is what it's called in Sanskrit, as a treatment for all kinds of imbalances in the body, as we talk about with doshas, with vata and kapha specifically, are usually the ones that we treat with Svedna because with pitta, with fire, it just increases the fire. But it's used very commonly as part of panchakarma, which is a very involved treatment for detoxification, but it's also used as something that people could do, you know, once a week to help to keep them in balance, to remove toxins. And the idea here is very similar to what you're talking about is the idea of removing toxins from the body, right? That is one of the main reasons that we do it in Ayurveda. You know, there's lots of data, as you were saying, there's tons of studies that have been done, you know, that really you know, four times a week, if you did a sauna for 20 minutes, it will significantly improve your mortality. I mean, there's studies that have been done, you know, since, you know, the 2000s on this and that where, you know, people who use saunas seven times a week were 63% less likely to experience sudden cardiac death and 50% less likely to die from cardiovascular disease than those who only used a sauna once a week. I'm reading some stats and some data that I pulled up from some of the studies. So, I mean, and there's many more studies than that. So the data is really clear that sauna is a really, really good treatment, a really good practice for us just in general for our health and longevity, in addition to treating all of these different issues that you might be having with your skin, et cetera. But one thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, these, this new technology, you know, I think one of the things that people are always hesitant about when I ask them about sauna, how they've been doing it is access, right? How do you get access to this versus, you know, sometimes it's in a gym, sometimes it's not, but I know that there's a lot of home setups also. Is that something that you guys were seeing as part of this trend and, you know, especially with this newer technology? Yeah. You know, what's interesting, a lot of times with these trends, the first place that you see them is businesses popping up and, and off to their clients. So there are these Perspire sauna studios with locations that are opening up sort of worldwide, offering halo therapy and salt therapy, uh, to your point, really honing in on those benefits, particularly decreasing inflammation and boosting immunity. So we see them popping up in these environments first. And usually what we see with these trends is they then become adaptable at lower price points and in places where we can incorporate them into our living. Yeah. So, so yeah. you didn't really see this technology going into the home because I know there's all those sauna, you know, those systems. I don't even know what exact names. Um, I've never gotten one myself, but I know there's like those little beds are almost like little sleeping bags that you can get and have in your home and, you know, do these therapies, but you didn't really see that yet. Not the first iteration yet. Yeah, I mean, there, there are some new like infrared saunas that we're seeing in people's homes that are accommodating to different budgets. So, you know, 
sometimes those are more cost prohibitive than going, you know, to your local spa or wellness studio. But we see them at price points varying between two hundred and like three thousand dollars. So, you know, there's portable ones. Heatwave has a portable sauna. Um, there's one that's a low, and I think that's a lower price point. And then you see like sunlight and, you know, has one that's upwards of $3,000. So there are ways to incorporate these into, into the home as well. Yeah. And some of those are you're talking about are like a full sauna, like, you know, a booth that you'd put in versus the, the sleeping bag option. So there are a lot of different options is what you're saying. And you see those sauna blankets as well, yes. you know, popping up no, I'm always a little wary of, but I know some people enjoy those using those. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. The sauna blankets. Like I'm calling them yeah. sleeping, sleeping bags. They're not sleeping bags. They're <laughs> sauna blankets because you go right into it. It's almost like you're cocooned in a sleeping bag. Um, yeah, I've heard good things. I mean, you know, I've had quite a few people ask me about those and I unfortunately don't have any personal experience. It's probably something I need to look at because I get asked the question so much about getting these home home setups, not the full booth that you're like installing in a room in your house, which is quite expensive and you have to have the space and all that kind of stuff. But the, the sauna blanket could be an option for some people, especially if you have a lot of chronic inflammation types of issues, it might be something worth looking at. The other question I have is that, you know, there's a difference between sort of this idea of wet and dry sauna. Did you guys see any trends going in, you know, either direction or the technology or using both or one or anything like that? Yeah, that's so, that's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of dry technology in this space, so like cold therapy, as I mentioned, salt therapy, pulsed electromagnetic field therapy. So typically dry in this area. That's why we saw it more akin to kind of a traditional sauna. But yeah, that's interesting though to dig into to see if we're seeing it on the other side. Yeah, because you know, you know, wet and dry have been used in Ayurveda for centuries, right? So we have both techniques that we do. And, you know, again, there are benefits to both. It's also your tolerance level and what you're trying to treat. But there are both types of, you know, setups that you can try, is either a wet or a dry. So that's really interesting. Have you tried any of these new therapies like the red light or any of those newer salt therapy. you have? What did you think? I mean, I definitely saw the benefits of it for sure. Like, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, kind of maybe not as consistently as to see sort of if I notice any long-term health benefits, but I definitely felt better. I remember sleeping really well that night. Yeah. <laughs> and so when you did salt therapy, can you explain like what was that experience for people who may not know what that means exactly? Yeah. So I did it. At, we have a local spa in our area that offers it is a part of what they call like this healing water suite. If you're in, I'll give them a plug. They're called the Pearl Spa if you're in Maryland, but they have a whole salt room. So you go in, it's kind of like dimly lit. It's a shared space. They kind of try to keep it small, but there's salt lamps and, you know, you just kind of relax. I think there is a time limit on it. I don't want to get that, get that wrong on how long you should stay in there for health reasons. Very relaxing, very Zen, you know, definitely not. It wasn't a, uh, like a, a pouring sweat that I got from it, but more sort of like a mist, like a moistness, but it was relaxing. You know, it was really, really nice. Yeah. And, and is that different than the salt caves or is that the same thing? Maybe it's a little different. Cause... I think it's, it's pretty similar, but okay. I, it was warmer. Yeah. So I think it did incorporate a bit of that dry heat. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So that is a little different than the salt. Cause I've been to a salt cave before, but I know that, you know, we would just go in in our regular clothes and you kind of just chill out 
it's very zen and you feel you do feel really you know well after that but i don't know that it was a sauna concept so it's really interesting they're taking that to the next level now is incorporating the sauna yeah, piece a nice combination of yeah, yeah that's cool and then red light therapy have you tried any red light therapy sauna it's on my list yeah i actually have tried one and I found it to be really interesting. I found it to be really relaxing. It's a dry heat type of thing. And you're sitting there and you've got this red light. Uh, I don't know that I you know, have done it enough to really understand sort of the difference between that and how I felt versus what I would feel from a regular dry sauna. But again, the red light therapy, as you said, is very, very good for inflammation. And we know that you know, the, the data is there that it helps with that. So, you know, it's sort of that two for one sort of thing. You need to go, go into a sauna, you get the benefits of the dry sauna, plus the, the red light therapy, it increase, increases the benefits even further. So it's kind of like, why not do that? Right. So, right. yeah, for sure. So, yeah. So I think that these are good things to think about, you know, as far as, you know, for a lot of the listeners, if it feels like it's cost pro- prohibitive or, you know, kind of difficult to get somewhere, you know, you can do some of these things in a similar way at home, you know, you can take a nice hot shower, you can, you know, make it steamy in your bathroom, try and work up a sweat. I know when I was growing up, my mom would always have us do facials over the sink. We would boil water and then turn it off, you know, put it on another, (laughs) another place like the old fashioned and then, you know, open up the lid, have a, a towel over our heads and like bring in the steam. And that really helped with like any upper respiratory stuff, but it, you know, was a way to sweat. Again, there are some innovative ways you can do this, creative ways you can do it at home too, to get some of the benefits. But I think if you're dealing with like some skin issues or inflammation of your joints, you probably need to go into an actual sauna to get that. It's harder to do it for full body at home. So but yeah, that's, for sure. yeah, that's sure. interesting. So it's, it's the next thing. So you think this is going to become these, these sort of chains, sort of the way massage, you know, kind of became, you know, these different massage chains that are out there. There's many of them where it's almost made massage more accessible because it's at a lower price point. You can go once a month. That's kind of what I'm hearing is that it's sort of the similar concept that's coming. Yeah. Yeah. We're seeing these pop-ups. Stretch too, I feel like is another one like massage. You're seeing more and more places pop up, you know, for folks to go for a good stretch. So yeah, I think we'll see more of these and, you know, hopefully too, to your point, you know, cost prohibitive is so relative, right? We could say $200 is a good price point for some people, for, for some people that's just still not a good price point, you know, dis- disposable. So yeah, hopefully as we see more of these popping up, they'll become more accessible as well. But I love the hacks. I did the same thing with my mom. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Those were, those were great ones. It's really good for your skin, for your facial skin. So, and actually that- like leads right into the next one. Look at that, which is the next trend that we were going to talk about is strength training your skin will become the single most important part of your beauty routine in 2024. So tell me about this one. Yeah, I love this one because, you know, like many of the trends, I learned so much from from this one because I had no idea. And then once I learned it, I was like, oh, we should all be thinking about this. So this is all about strengthening your skin barrier. So Your skin barrier is really that first line of defense against elements like pollution and bacteria, which I think, you know, becomes even more important when we're, you know, those of us on the East Coast had to deal with the Canadian wildfires this summer. And we saw that haze settle on the East Coast. And you think a lot about your breathing, but you also need to be thinking about your skin and that protective layer. So, you know, 
when it's functioning properly, your skin barrier will be hydrated, it'll be healthy. But when it's compromised, you're vulnerable to things like dryness and irritation and inflammation, acne, eczema, psoriasis. So this trend is really about products that are popping up geared towards that barrier to get that skin barrier healthy. They're lighter weight products. They're suitable for sensitive and acne prone skin. But we're seeing a lot of companies now prioritizing what it means to protect your skin barrier. So, you know, I'm going to kind of push back a little bit because, you know, skin barrier versus skin health. Is this just like a marketing gimmick? You know, how do you feel about that? Because when I first read this, I was like, mm, yeah, isn't that what we're doing with, you know, any kind of skincare products? Like, how does this make it different? What What would you say? Yeah, I mean, that's a, for sure. It's a good pushback. I think a lot of times things include ingredients, you know, that, you know, don't strip the skin, you know, and that are really about kind of catering to that first layer. I think a lot of times when we think of skincare products, we think of acne, you know, we think of kind of blemishes, hyperpigmentation, you know, as opposed to what are we doing about the overall health and longevity? How are we protecting our skin when we go out beyond SPF? So, you know, for me, this one is a lot about protection and strengthening that barrier, you know, so you will see improvement, you know, in your skin when you're taking care of your barrier health, but it's not like a retinol, you know, where you're going to get rid of the blemish right away. This is more of a long-term investment in your skin. Okay. And so like what kind of products then would differentiate it as being for skin barrier versus skin health? Like how do you distinguish, like what's the difference if you're going and looking for these products? Yeah. Well, you know, transparently, a lot of these products are just using barrier in their marketing. So Paula's Choice launched a barrier repair, which is like an advanced moisturizer, which produces the skin's natural production of ceramides to strengthen that barrier and allow for better moisture retention. So these are products you'd likely be using in addition to the products that you use already, you know, but geared towards that barrier. We've seen Rock has a line called Barrier Renew. It's an essentials collection. So a lot of these products will say right on it that that's what it's for. Sometimes you'll see things like cellular hydration, like that's kind of a similar language for barrier repair, but that's how you distinguish it. You know, you want to look for things that are speaking directly towards that barrier. Right. Okay. Got it. Yeah. It's a little bit of a pushback on it. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm not sure that I would really necessarily see those differently, but you know what they're trying to get at, you know, again, this is something that we've done in Ayurveda for years. Like, you know, skin is one of the first things we talk about. It's the largest organ of the body. It's your first barrier, as you said, to the outside world. And it's also where we release toxins. And so, you know, in Ayurveda, we you know, traditionally will oil the skin with self-oil massage or abhyanga, right? Or dry brushing, you know, or garshana with gloves, with silk gloves, right? So we're trying to really sort of protect and sort of stimulate that skin barrier to keep at its highest function, right? Through the exfoliation, through the oiling to help remove toxins. So it's a similar idea. Again, you know, from centuries ago versus sort of the newer technology. And I think that's kind of the point. And we've talked about this in the first part too, is that so many of these trends, and now I've done this for the third year with you guys. It's so interesting to me because it's like taking the technology and combining it with these ancient practices that we've done for centuries in so many different healing traditions, not just Ayurveda. And it's sort of like going back to basics, but sort of in a new, improved way with the new technology, which I think is really, really cool. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, I think 
agreed completely. I think a lot of it is back to basics and also like just increased literacy. You know, for me, a big part of my attraction to this trend was like, I had no idea about my skin barrier and that I should be thinking about it, but it makes complete sense, right? When you think about the things that are in the environment, you know, so even if it's not, you know, one of these more higher end products, kind of giving care to staying hydrated, you know, all of those things factoring in to that skin barrier as another uh, layer of things that you should think about. Also, you know, when you look at things like retinol or exfoliating acids, they strip the skin, right? You know, so you want to be thinking if you're using these things, I also need to be paying attention to how am I investing in the repair as well. Right. And so it's that the whole idea of like, if you're exfoliating, even if you're doing it, you know, sort of as like a home remedy, right. With Garchana, with the silk gloves or a dry brush, you're exfoliating, but then how are you going to replenish that? And in Ayurveda, we would say you're going to oil, you're going to help so that your body can remove the toxins so that you're nourishing the skin. That would be sort of the two pieces that go together. And so I think that's, um, yeah, you know, what you're saying is really is clear is, you know, that a lot of the skin treatments that we've seen before are very targeted towards a specific skin issue, which do strip the skin. And so this is about adding things back to the skin. Yeah. It's about the health, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love this one. Love this one. Okay. So let's move on to the, the next one, which is, this is a really interesting one about the fourth trimester. Birth isn't just about the baby. Next generation postpartum care is born. So let's talk about, and I know this was, this was one of the trends that we talked about last year too. Similar. It was something about doulas, but so tell me about this one for this year. Yeah. I mean, you know, what I love about this trend is that this has just been a pervasive need for so long. You know, I think any Anyone that's a mama or has had babies knows that that fourth trimester can be really lonely. You know, it's every, the baby's here, right? So everybody's thinking about the baby. You're thinking about the baby and often you're deprioritizing yourself and not just your emotional needs, but your physical needs. And what we also know from a medical standpoint is that maternal mortality increases in your fourth trimester. So it's the time where there should be a lot of attention on, on, uh, or, you know, our birthing person. So with this trend, what we're seeing is a lot of places popping up, you know, and addressing these needs. So it's it's deviating from that idea of, you know, when the doctor lets you go, they say, if you need us, call us. Now it's like, we know that you need someone. We know that you need support. And here's where you can come to find that support. So we're seeing virtual support, you know, popping up and we're seeing wellness spaces popping up for mom and baby, you know, to go for that extra care for a couple of weeks. But just a lot of these services coming in and saying, we know that you have needs beyond pregnancy and we want to be there for you to help address those needs. Mm -hmm. So give me some examples of this, because I mean, yeah, you're right. You know, and and being a physician, you know, I, I have the perspective of, you know, you have your treat, you have your follow-up visits after you have the baby with your pediatrician for the baby, you have it with your, you know, OB-GYN for you, but again, it falls off a little bit. So how is this different then? Yeah. Yeah. So there's virtual support now. So we're seeing places like Borum Anywhere. They have a retreat space in New York for those that are New York based. It's like a village for postnatal treatments. You go and stay a couple of days, but then they also have virtual support with access to text messaging and lactation consultants and perinatal mental health specialists. There's lots of that kind of popping up, individual and group therapy, medication management, 
lactation support, as I mentioned, physical therapy, acupuncture, but just these places that are popping up in support of you during that period. This was like a personal one for me too, because when I had my last son, I suffered from postpartum preeclampsia. And I remember being at home with a severe headache, you know, having blurred vision, but also kind of telling myself, you're probably just tired. You know, you're, you're probably sleep. And fortunately I had a partner and my husband had taken like a longer period of parental leave. This was our last. So he's like, I want to soak it all up and stay home as long as possible. But he insisted. He was like, we have to go to the doctor. We have to find out what's going on. This doesn't feel okay. And of course we found out my blood pressure was through the roof, you know, and I had to be urgently, you know, and I feel fortunate and privileged that I had someone home with me that can say, I'm going to take you and let's get in the car with baby you know, go, I could call my sister and pick up my other children from school. But there are, you know, situations where folks don't have that kind of support, right? They're home alone with baby or they're forced to go back to work really soon after they have baby. So these places are things that you can access on your smartphone. Is this normal? Am I supposed to feel this way? You know, to be able to get that support. So that's like an extreme example. But then of course we all know, you know, if you're trying to nurse, you suffer from, you know, some stumbling blocks there sometimes. So being able to have access, you know, that you don't have to, you know, go through loops maybe with insurance. You can just call it up on your app and, you know, have that support. So it's a, it's a great, it's a great trend popping up in a space that sorely needed it. Yeah, I know. That's really interesting. I like the idea of the apps. Are there some specific ones that you guys uh, sort of saw that you guys are really impressed by? Because I know that's the next question. People are like, oh, which apps are there? Yeah, yeah. Forum Anywhere, they have that virtual support app. Motherocracy or Motherocity, I think is what it's called. It's a postpartum tracking app. It uses daily check-ins to monitor and forecast your physical and mental health, which is fantastic in a case maybe like the one that I had. If I was sort of taking my blood pressure at home or something and tracking, I'd be able to kind of maybe get an alert. Um, ULA, which offers also virtual drop-in postpartum office hours. But we have a whole litany of them listed within the article too, if you want to check out the trends on Well and Good. Yeah. Yeah. And those will be linked in the show notes for all of you, for the listeners, so that you can check those out and look directly. Yeah. You know, again, and this is really interesting because I do think that that quote fourth trimester is such an important time. And I know in many of our cultures, you know, this is something that was supported by other women in your family, other family members, elders, right? Being around sort of coming and sort of you know, surrounding you with that care of, you know, whether it was making food for you or staying with you to help you with the baby. You know, I know that I experienced that. I mean, it's been 25 years since I had you know my first kid and 22 since my last one. But both times, you know, my mother and my sister, you know, they came and they helped me, stayed with me. My mom would make me all kinds of food and, you know, all of it was all the support that you need when you have no clue what you're doing, <laughs> taking care of a baby for the first time or even the second time, you have no idea what you're doing. But I think, yeah, I know. I think that it's really, really important, like you said, and not everybody has that that support at home. You know, it's like one of those things about the culture that we live in. We are living separately from families now, living far away from them many times. And so it's not easy to get that that support that we had sort of built in, you know, long, you know, longer times ago when we lived more in community or lived closer to our families, we had that ability to drop in on somebody who just had a baby and stay with them. It's not as easy anymore. And so I think that this is a really interesting 
solution in a way to that problem. Yeah. More of that back to basics, right? Like, (laughs) you know, and this is the way that we're going to provide it in the the age that we live in. To your point, we're also spread out, you know, that we often don't have the support that maybe our parents did. Yeah. And so did you see that some of these different services are also specifically medical services? Are they more, you know, the support around sort of the medical issues and then saying you should go, you know, to a medical center? Were they specific with, you know, physician groups or what were you kind of seeing there? Yeah, definitely wellness geared, uh, you know, things like I mentioned, acupuncturists, doulas, physical therapists. So not as many medical doctors. I've seen mental health specialists, you know, but I think it's having that kind of first line expert to even just say, hey, this may be something that you need to go back to your doctor about or go to a medical professional rather than sort of guessing and diagnosing on your own is a step in the right direction. This is one of those trends that you get excited about, but then there's another part of you that's like the health industry also has to catch up here. You know, they have some onus here, you know, to be able to address some of these issues. But I love that it's, you know, a step in the right direction and also a way that, you know, the, the private industry is stepping in and saying we can provide support. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like continuing that doula care, midwifery care into the fourth trimester, right? Because yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's how I look at the doula midwifery, you know, during pregnancy is this additional level of care that you may not be able to get from a physician because they're, you know, busy taking care of hundreds of patients and doing surgeries and deliveries and all that kind of stuff uh, and doing a lot of complicated, more emergent types of procedures that this is like the bridge that you, you know, have with midwives and doulas during pregnancy. And then I don't know what we'll call these, but, you know, for the fourth trimester, having that sort of step in between, right, is I think what I'm hearing from you. Yeah. Yeah. A thousand percent, a thousand percent. It's the, you know, it's, it's again, that back to basics, let's figure out how we can support you in a way that it would, if you had someone in your house with you right now that was looking out for you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's great. I mean, I will be very interested to see how this, how this progresses. Cause I think it's very needed and I'm, yeah, I'm hopeful that it'll help a lot of people who are really struggling in this time period especially with they have a child for the first time, you know, are really struggling. So, okay, so let's move on to the last trend that we're going to talk about, which is our everyday gear can now perform medical tests from home. So let's, this is, this, I got to tell you, I saved this one for last because this is one that I'm having a lot of issues with from a privacy and um, just a lot (laughs) of different issues here. So I want to hear what you think about this. Cause I read the article and I was like, tampons, wait, what are we talking about? So let's go into this one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, technology is just getting smarter and smarter. I mean, we knew, you know, our smart watches were tracking our fitness our smart rings, sleep stats. We've seen that for a long time, but now we're seeing a lot of just everyday gear also have this dual purpose of being able to track things. So you mentioned the tampons and menstrual cups. They can now be connected to an app (laughs) to tell you about your flow level, your pH, early signs of diabetes, cholesterol, gynecological diseases, even check your, your vaginal microbiome, you know, for bacterial infections or fertility issues. Um, we've also seen cool things like smart contacts and glasses 
smart night guards, but things that kind of work in a way of diagnostically kind of testing to see, you know, in screening to see if there is anything that you should be concerned about or you should be seeing the doctor about. So, you know, in addition (laughs) to seeing this kind of explosion of increased information, we're also seeing that these digital health devices are trends like transforming the medical field in a number of ways. I mean, as we know, you know, the the medical field is currently saturated, right? There's, you know, folks are waiting longer to have appointments. So we're seeing also health insurance companies investing in some of these devices and tools as ways to, you know, pre-screen folks out in their own homes and, and mailing them to them. So we're just seeing a lot of innovation in this space, a lot of uses, but I am ready for the privacy conversation because definitely got my wheels turning when I saw that this was increasing in popularity as well. Yeah. You know, so like, I mean, there's so many issues. I totally respect that. Like, you know, this is a way to try to address some of the the needs in medical care because we have such a crisis right now with the number of healthcare workers and the number of people who need to get in. I mean, it's crazy, right? But this idea of, first of all, of inserting something into your body, either in your mouth or into your vagina, like, I mean, that has smart technology in it. There are so many problems with that, first of all. Just trying to understand that. That's the first issue. But let's talk about that point first, because I mean, that must have come up in your discussions. Like, how is that healthy, right? So again, this is a case where you're trying to do something to help narrow the gap between, you know, access and availability of care, right? And I get that. Then you're putting people at risk by putting these devices into their body. It's so strange to me. Like, how do you, what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I think with anything, you know, as you explore any new, whether you're going to put a watch on your, your wrist all day, you know, you want to ask questions, like you want to know, you know, all the data. And I think what we see with a lot of these industries, especially when they pop up is it's unregulated currently. Right. You know, so sort of you're at your own kind of discretion and risk. Some people value the, the benefits of this technology you know, over kind of the cost and cost could be, how is this impacting, if at all, your health, you know, but also what is happening to this data, you know, that's collected, who owns it, where is it going, how secure is it, you know, and because it's not regulated, there's really no uniform answers around it yet, but it's, I would say it's upon any patient. And I I don't know if I've shared this with you, I practiced law for a long time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Say always read the fine print, right? I think so often we're in a rush to utilize the new technology that we click accept immediately, right? <laughs> like, right. Accept, yes, yes. You know, to these those, those long, long lines of fine print that we get from this tech. But I'd say read it, you know, pay attention. You know, make sure you know exactly what you're engaging in. And if your answers aren't, your questions aren't answered, then it may be something you want to skip. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, especially with the tampons and, you know, regulating menstruation and for, you know, and having all that information out there. I mean, we're not going to get into a political discussion, but this goes into all kinds of issues that we're seeing with, you know, access to services, other services that you need, whether it's abortion or maternal care or anything, and people wanting to know. I mean, we've had all this craziness going on about, you know, regulating and having, you know, women having young girls having to tell their schools, you know, about their menstruation and their, their cycles, et cetera. And so this is like where my brain went right away is that, you know, 
where is the line here? Because how is that information going to get used? You know, some young woman might be thinking, oh, this is really cool technology. It's going to help me, you know, figure out what's going on with me. But they're not realizing that that information can then be used in all kinds of other ways that is not HIPAA regulated. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a thousand percent, a thousand percent. And I think what you find too is, is most times, at least when it comes to particular technology, if you read the fine print, you'll probably get at least some clue. Right. <laughs> you know, as to who's going to have access to that data. We also, I mean, we're seeing things that aren't as invasive, right? I mean, we're seeing, is it Prevail has smart wear, like a sports bra that helps you regulate your breathing rate and your body temperature. So Really, you know, there's probably the tampons, <laughs> you know, then there's socks, right? So yeah. there's a long kind of range of like where your comfort level lies when you when you think about engaging in some of these medical screening devices. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the ones that you insert anywhere into your body. Those are the ones that like really I was sort of like, that's when the alarm bells went off for me when I was reading this. Um, I was like, okay, there's problems here. Of course, there are risks with putting anything on your body, whether it's an aura ring or, you know, a smartwatch or these socks that you're talking about, but at least that's on the outside of your body. So there's a little bit of that barrier still. I mean, it still can have a lot of detrimental effects with, you know, all of the technology that's in there and the waves and all that kind of thing. But these the the tampons just like stressed me out. I was like, wow, this is this is other level, like what they're doing. So like, what are they doing? Let me just ask, you know, with these tampon things, how does that actually work? Can you tell us more about what you know about that? Yeah, unsure, but I know Tulipon is the one that has the tampon and the app is going to tell you about your pH level and your vaginal pH. So it's connected to a smart device. So I suppose it, you know, automatically sort of is able to somehow calibrate those results. I know there's a menstrual cup now that's connected to an app that'll tell you about your flow level. Um, and eventually, I don't think it does it just yet, but it aims to tell you about early signs of diabetes and cholesterol and gynecological diseases. So the the tech behind the how of how it's working and how it's doing, you know, is, is probably a great question for some of those companies. But those are the propositions that are offered by them. I have to say, it was a part of me in reading this trend, and it's particularly about the tampons. When you know women's health is so understudied, you're like, "Well, this is this is good, right? Like, this is a good way to kind of figure some things out. If maybe you're not getting the right answers immediately, you know, when you ask or you know something wrong. But you're right. Then there's the other side of the coin, and you know, I think with any of these things, like you know, they're not a diagnosis, you know, and, and you still have to make sure that you're talking to medical professionals and getting the accurate answers. Because I think oftentimes we, we love to self-diagnose. We saw a lot of that during the pandemic, oh right? Everybody kind of, yeah, YouTube medical degrees, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it's important still that this should never take the place of your doctor. Yeah. And, you know, I really appreciate what you just said. I think it's a really good point that, you know, on the flip side, so I'm being a little negative about it and like all stressed out about it, but the other side is that you can get a lot of information about women's health and which has been so understudied. And it's only been on, you know, the same population of white women in a certain age group that, you know, then gets extrapolated. And many times like for cardiovascular disease or other diseases, not specifically women's health issues, it's on white men and that data gets extrapolated to women, which is incredibly crazy, right? So I think your point is very well taken that, 
the positive of this is that if that information is used correctly, it can actually be a great database to help with really understanding women in, in all different, you know, from different backgrounds and age groups and risk factors and finding out more about them. I think that that's a really good point. So thank you for, for pointing that out. I think it's a really, it's important. Maybe like a Pollyanna point, point right? That's me being an eternal optimist, but I'm like, this could be a great thing, yeah. but we all, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, also spoken like a true lawyer. I mean, you're looking at both sides, which I really appreciate. I think that that's, you know, that's really important. It's a good point to, to have out there. And so it'll be very interesting. Are there any ones that any of these trackers that you've tried that you really were interested in or not really? No, not yet. I think too, like just transparently, this is one of those things I tend to get a little bit like anxious. So (laughs) even with my smartwatch, like I sometimes like, let me check my heart rate or, you know, let me, so I'm like, I know myself, I think I do better at the doctor, but (laughs) um, definitely. I mean, I've been intrigued by a couple of these for sure. You know, I, I love the night guard is one thing that, you know, intrigues me too, you know, nothing else just to learn more about myself when I'm sleeping. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My sleep quality that always interests me. Why do I wake up tired some days? What's going on when I come down? Yeah, definitely intrigued by it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting. I haven't actually used any of these trackers. I have, you know, I've decided I'm not going to, but, you know, I also um, am hesitant also because I do see that a lot of people I talk to are so stressed out about knowing everything about their bodies all the time that it almost becomes an obsessive sort of practice of checking the Apple watch or checking the smartwatch or the aura ring or whatever it is like multiple times an hour, you know, to see, well, what's my blood pressure? What's my, this, what's my, and it's almost like, you know, it's kind of antithetical to what my work is about, which is tuning back in to your own self and, and learning to trust your own intuition and tuning into what your body is telling you. Uh, not that you can't, you know, use these in a, in a, in a good way, in a balanced way. But I think it's hard for a lot of people to have a balanced approach to using these, these technology, you know, these smart watches and smart technology, whatever you want to go devices. Um, I think it can become hard for a lot of people. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, you have to know yourself, right. And I think as we talk, read the fine print, ask the question, you know, I think it's a great starting point for engaging any of these, these devices. Yeah, absolutely. And so, wow. So that, that is all of them. I mean, there's a couple more that we, we don't have time to go into, but we have covered a lot of really interesting trends and I am so excited to see what happens and to sort of track them during the year. Maybe we'll, we'll try and get together later in the year to talk about how they, they seem to be progressing. Yeah, this is really just the beginning, too, of our coverage. I mean, the idea is like, let's pay attention. Let's see what's going on. Let's keep talking about them throughout the year as they pop up, as we get more user, you know, kind of reviews and experiences engaging with them. So stay tuned for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Great. Well, Faye, thank you so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate your time. And it's just been so much fun talking to you about all of these trends and just engaging in some, you know, intelligent discussion around it and me pushing back. Thank you for, you know, engaging in that. I really appreciate it. Oh, of course. Absolutely. And thanks for sharing your platform with us. It's been a real pleasure. Absolutely. Anytime. I hope to do it again. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, 
please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at avantikumarsingh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.